Hi, I'm Alyssa Milano, and this is Sorry Not Sorry. When the nation was shut down due to the coronavirus, people in all professions were impacted. Hit especially hard were up-and-coming performers, including musicians, actors, dancers, and comedians. Ben Glebe, a comedian and former presidential candidate, found a way to bring live comedy back to audiences, providing work for performers and much-needed laughter to people around the world. His social distancing, social club, and nowhere comedy club, our essential business in my view. And we're so happy to have him on the show today. The full economic impact of COVID-19 has yet to be known, of course, but for some people, the hit was almost immediate. Performers who need audiences in their seats each and every night were just some of those who lost their livelihoods. None of them. We can't really work from home because all of our jobs and are usually ones that you have to go somewhere to do. If the petition to freeze the rent in New York City doesn't go through, then there's a lot, there's a lot to worry about. Comedy should frame things in a way that gives people a certain amount of relief, a certain amount of identification, a certain amount of not feeling alone. All right, please welcome your host. He's not only one of the founders of Nowhere Comedy Club, but he's also the host on Idiot Test on Netflix and the host of Social Distancing Social Club. Please give it up for Ben Glebe. I'm Ben Glebe. When the global lockdown started, they shut down comedy clubs and all live entertainment and told us we couldn't have that right now. And I disagreed. So I decided to create a comedy club anyway. Sorry, not sorry. So, Ben, the last time we spoke, you were running for president. I was. That sounds that seems like a like a like a dream. What was that like for you? (laughs) It was insane, intense, an experience really unlike anything that you could imagine or that I could have expected, even though I was consciously choosing to do it. You had some really, really great points that weren't really like even policy points, but just like common sense things like what you were saying about sort of misinformation and this 24 hour news cycle and how these quote unquote news networks were not really news networks. They were more opinion networks and that the FCC should probably get involved in labeling them as such. And I thought that was so smart because it's really true. We don't we don't look at, you know, an article in the New York Times that is just straight journalism and the op-eds that we read in the New York Times as the same type of news source. So I thought that was really smart. Thank you. If only you were my press secretary, things could have been different right now. <laughs> I don't know why anyone would want to be president of the United States right now. Yeah, this is quite an unexpected curveball the world has gone through. And a lot of it, honestly, were some of those same themes you just brought up that I was trying to talk about how we've just allowed such a high level of misinformation and sensationalizing of our news that it's really become so hard to tell fact from fiction these days. and. We just don't have clear guidance. I mean, it's quite obvious that 
with this guy in the White House, whatever his name is, Freddie or whatever. I've, I've totally blocked it out, I think. Yeah, we call him the occupant of the White House in my home. Y- yes, the uh, mm-hmm. hostile takeover yeah. of the White House. It's so beyond, obviously, ineptitude that's leading us. It's changing every day. But even through the media, too, they don't have the ability or the interest to present to us what's most important and what's most right. crucial and to create a cohesive set of rules for us to follow. It's just whatever the next sensational thing that next day is. It feels like there's no standards anymore. And I actually have a lot of friends that have said to me, coincidentally recently, they've said, you know what, I'm watching local news now because it's about their community. It's about what's happening in their community. It's about their school district. It's about where they can go help or where they can find help. And, you know, local news, you get a a half hour to kind of get it all in there. So there's none of the, you know, the fluff in between that. It's the exact same thing for me. I've started watching local news for the first time since I was a child. I never was interested in local news. Me, it was always about robberies and bake sales. And now I'm like, God, do I miss robberies and bake sales? Right. It's just, it's something real and tangible. And you look at the national news and even though I've been taking quarantine incredibly seriously, I have not left except for a visit to the vet and one market trip in about seven and a half weeks now. But you watch the news and the advice seems to be we must stay inside to avoid spreading this, but we should definitely go on walks, but not to the beach, just to a park. And if you go to a beach, don't go to a beach and then make sure right. we and, and this thing cannot spread through the air. It's just by touching things. So make sure you just stay six feet apart. But sneezes and coughs can carry it 20 feet. And also right. it might be in the air. And we don't right. know what it, it's just every single thing. It's, it's like double speak. It's a little creepy how little even the greatest experts seem to know. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I was just going to say is it feels like. I guess that's why they call it the novel coronavirus, right? Because this is the this is it's it's a brand new virus. But it does feel like we should know more about things at this point, right? Yeah, and it like a good like, novel, you don't know where it's going. Right. Exactly. And just the fact that like now went, you know, one day it's just the lungs and it can't get children and then the next day it's like well actually a child died he was five and then the next day it's like well it's now causing strokes to people in their 40s i'm sorry what right (laughs) right and tigers got it and then cats got it and now a dog got it and i just keep asking myself how did they get the test because (laughs) i think i had it and i couldn't get a test that's exactly right and having said all of this, I would be remiss if I didn't add that we are lucky because we live in California with a super on top of it governor. And I think our mayor has been doing a really good job at keeping the public informed and making some really good decisions. And we are the only city as of recording this that has the capacity to uh, test 10 million people. Mayor Garcetti made that announcement recently. So we have one test for every person of the city of Los Angeles, regardless if they have symptoms or not, which that's, is that's pretty great. That's so needed and so wonderful that we have that capacity now. I mean, we didn't even have it about a month and a half ago or a month ago when I truly think I probably had coronavirus. I lost my sense of smell. I was pretty sick for two weeks. It was mild symptoms overall. But it was unlike anything I'd really experienced. And 
to have a pandemic happening and to be locked down and to not know if you even have the thing is pretty insane. And obviously the only way to have properly done this and to still properly do this for a nationwide problem is have a federal response coordinated from the right. top. And That's the president right. just says, not interested. Nope, not you're all on your own. Even the people that could find the test, Ben, were having a hard time. My, you know, my best friend, Allah, went and got tested because his roommate was positive. Asymptomatic, by the way. Not one symptom. Wow. Just decided that he was going to go and get tested because he had access to it. He comes back positive. My best friend goes and says, okay, you know, my roommate is positive. They test him and then they lose the results. What? Two weeks went by and I was like, you need to call the city. You need to call the health department. This is chaos. Wow. I mean, you know, it's a chaotic program when even Allah cannot get one. Exactly. Jesus, Moses, Christ. Who who, who, who do you need to be to get a test around? (laughs) Tell me what you are doing I mean, this has got to be so hard. You're a comedian. You are used to being in clubs, making people laugh, and that has been taken away from you. So how are you coping? It has been the challenge. I was going to say challenge of a lifetime, but I forgot for a second I ran for president. (laughs) This has been challenge of a lifetime number two, back to back. It has been very tough, and especially because I did run for office, you know, I spent the better part of a year trying to do something for my country and trying to just offer another option, another voice, another choice in what everyone on even both sides acknowledges is the most consequential election of our lives coming up and say what you will. And, you know, I'm, of course, supporting Biden and I'm excited to make sure that we do all we can to win. But it just also to me speaks to the broken system that the person that we thought was going to be the nominee from before, and we had this historically large field, ends up being the nominee. It's just odd that the system doesn't provide for alternative voices to really get the airtime to fully consider every option. Well, and not only that, but we condemn those alternative voices for wanting to throw their hat in the ring, right? I mean, look at Justin Amash, who we go, wait a minute, wait a minute, no, 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 no. You cannot do this now. Don't you understand? This is the most important election of our lifetime. Why are you throwing your hat in the ring? Mm -hmm. Sit this one out. You're young enough to wait. Justin Amash, a congressman from Michigan, has announced that he's running for the Libertarian nomination for president. Uh, It's an exploratory campaign. uh, And he's not yet the Libertarian nominee. But if he does go on to be that party's candidate in the 2020 general election, Uh, There are a lot of questions about, you know, just how much of an impact could he have on the contest? So that all happened already. And because I did that, I gave up the lion's share of my income already for most of last year. Right. And and on top of that, I started my campaign by using my own money, whatever little amount of savings I had. And so a lot, a big part of it. And so then all of a sudden, I'm finally able to get back to my career as a comedian And, oh, guess what? There's no more comedian as a job. That disappears. Every comedy club closes. Oh, thank you so much. When one door closes, another one closes even stronger and they board it up. That's not going to stay closed. Do you know why? Because laughter is the most important thing, I think, getting us through any hardship. We think comedy is just about a relaxing laugh. But the job of a comic is, in fact, deeply serious and important. 
to the mental well-being and flourishing of a society. In the olden days, there were court jesters, officially licensed and salaried comics, whose explicit job it was to make jokes for the king as a way of drawing them back to the things that really mattered and saving them from errors of pomposity. This suggests that comedy might be a requirement, a bit like having your teeth checked or doing the accounts. Not some optional extra when you feel like watching a bit of TV. There are a host of things that comedy helps us with. Also proven in this novel coronavirus pandemic that it is not the best medicine, as we've been told, because I've been making people laugh and it's not necessarily curing people, but it definitely helps people get through and helps them forget about their problems. And that's what we need right now very badly in in a time where every single story on the news and on your alerts and notifications and just any conversation is 99.9% coronavirus. Do you think people get like addicted to the bad news, the drama of it all? Yeah, 100% they do. Yeah. Cuz I don't think anyone's watching those press conferences with the occupant of the White House. They're not watching it to be informed, right? We're watching it like it's a train wreck. We're watching it like it's Tiger King. 100%. It is Tiger King. Basically, the Trump presidency is if Joe Exotic did win his run for president. Oh, my God. It, it's, it's, it's exactly that. I went there for a minute in my mind, and I was like, yeah, it couldn't be that any worse. It is yeah. that. Yeah, it's exactly that. The only problem is that we don't have somebody as effective as Carol Baskin at taking Trump down. Unfortunately, we really don't. We need a Carol Baskin who makes it her life mission to destroy the agenda of Trump, and it's not happening. I mean, I tried, but I was really ineffective. <laughs> I tried, too. <laughs> we're, we're all trying. But Carol Baskin's got some sort of iron will in her that is superhuman, it seems. Yeah, it does seem that she has that sort of facade about her that's just like, nothing can penetrate this. That's exactly right. It, right. You know, we don't know if she killed her husband or not, but we do know that the kind of person that can hear an accusation like that and be like, I'm good. I'm okay. Me. <laughs> sure, <laughs> you could come interview me. Yeah, that's the steely resolve we need. So talk to me about what you're doing to keep laughter alive when people are at home. So we had to do something. You know, comedy clubs all closed, TV and film productions all closed, and my potential to make money, as it happened also for every single one of my colleagues, disappeared almost instantly. And so my first thought was, what if I can create some sort of comedy club online? And the biggest problem that I'd seen just from a couple of days of people doing Zooms everywhere, Zoom broadcasts, is it's just them with one person or with two or three people. But there's no audience. There's no laughter. And that's what a comedian needs. That's the missing element that makes all the difference in the world and is what really defines live comedy. It's what defines stand-up comedy. And so... I instantly thought of a solution for it. I thought, well, what if we used video conferencing platforms to bring the audience into the recording as well and just ask them, don't talk, 
but feel free to laugh or all you want or applaud just like you're at a comedy show. And I thought that would work. And I called one of my dear friends, Steve Hofstetter, who's also a comedian, who's very tech savvy as well and has a huge online following. And I ran it by him and he said, I've been thinking along similar lines. Let's do something together. And we did a test show one day later with our friend Chris Bowers, another really funny comedian. And within three days, we had the first episode live on YouTube of a show we're calling The Social Distancing Social Club. Welcome to the first ever Social Distancing Social Club. We're here to distract you guys uh, from what's going on. Hello, Isolation Nation. Cup of Joe to everybody. <laughs> I got 15 frozen pizzas and 32 hot dogs, baby. I'm ready. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please. Welcome, hilarious, Mr. Rob Ryan, everybody. Rob Ryan. Please welcome Josh Wolf, everybody. I appreciate you guys referring to me as a celebrity, but I guess in this group I... <laughs> Brett Druck, everybody. Brett Druck. You know Jamie Kennedy. He is a superstar in the comedy world. The greatest thing is to hang out with you guys. Pitcher for the Washington Nationals, Mr. Sean Doolittle was here with us. We wanted to create this communal vibe, this ability for all of us to gather and laugh and forget about the problems and forget about coronavirus and forget about the very intense heaviness that's kind of blanketing all of us. And so we went live with it and it just took off with people. We created this format where we had the audience join us. So instead of this show's tape before a live studio audience, this one's tape before a live video audience. Oh, They're not with great. us. Thank you. But they're on camera and they laugh and we have celebrity guests join us every episode and we have two stand-up comedians join us every episode and perform stand-up and the audience tips the comedians so they make money and they tip the whole show. So our guest makes money. We make a little bit of money and we give a huge percentage of every episode's tips as well to other comedians who are out of work due to COVID-19 through something called the Martin Grant. Steve's father passed away a few years ago, and in his memory, he created a grant to help comedians who are out of work. And normally it's $10,000 grants, one per year. But this year, we're doing $1,000 grants to help many more comedians pay their bills, pay their rent. And we've already given out a lot of them, and we've raised thousands and thousands of dollars to be able to give them to comedians who are really struggling right now while having just the time of our lives every day. And for these 90 minutes of the social distancing social club every day, we laugh harder than I can remember laughing in so many years. Mm. And it really does not feel like the altered reality we are living in. It feels like normal life just mm. through a phone. Why do you think laughter is so important? It's the greatest and most instant cathartic release we can possibly have. It's the most instant release of all tension and anxiety. I've said this forever, and it's why I chose my life's work to be in comedy, is even at your saddest moments, at your deepest lows, at the moment when you're laughing, everything feels great. Everything feels completely okay and even very good. I mean, even at funerals when someone tells a joke, at that moment, you laugh and you, you have that sense that, okay, life's going to be okay again. I can still find joy. It's an instant connection. In some way, it's like what people turn to drugs for, but it's not a drug. And I would never do that because obviously we don't count marijuana as a drug. I don't personally in my household. 
So I sometimes turn to that too, but it's an instant way, even quicker without putting anything in your lungs to access this sheer joy. Biologically, it decreases stress hormones and increases immune cells and infection fighting antibodies. So you're doing a medical service as well as, you know, making people feel good. It releases endorphins and all of that. And I think that that is great. But also when people get together and laugh together, is there anything that describes community better than that? No, it's exactly why you get together with people. And it's why you love catching up with your friends because you're going to laugh because they know the things that are funny to you and you have such rapport and such inside jokes that it's easy to connect right back into that joyous thing that makes you all laugh. And so that's exactly what we wanted to create with our social club is this broader community that anybody that follows our show, you feel part of our family quite literally, and you can even be part of the show. (laughs) Hello, how are you? I'm well, Ben, how are you? I'm good. What is your two relationship to each other? You're sitting awfully close for brother and sister. You have a weird relationship. <laughs> Love that. We're going to immediately unspotlight you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Free to mute yourself again. That did not go as expected. <laughs> Making a joke, and I think they actually are brother sister. That's not ideal. And you can just buy a $10 ticket to the video front row and be there with us and laugh with us and literally be part of our inside jokes and part of our family. Like sometimes if, if you miss the beginning of one of our episodes or did miss the last few, you won't get all the jokes because we're insane. We've literally all become prop comics. Bowers became a hot dog and put clothes on a hot dog and was <laughs> talking as a hot dog. And then I became string cheese and drew a face on string cheese. And we're showing that. And Steve became an egg and drew a face on the egg. And then, and then he peeled the egg and it was, we all freaked out. No, you can't eat your own face egg. I mean, it's just the most <laughs> absurdest, strange experience. And, We've all prided ourselves our whole careers of trying to be as highbrow and smart and non-hacky and not prop comic-like as possible. (laughs) And then a pandemic happens, and what we needed was the exact opposite. Let's let it all loose. Let's just go nuts, be stupid, be silly. I'm doing pulling props out of out of a hat every single day in my weird (laughs) studio office. Christopher Titus came and was a guest recently, and he's a guy that's all about the resistance and is anti-Trump and is a a total political and social commentary kind of angry comedian. And he laughed his ass off for 90 minutes and said, I don't care if this ruins my career. This is the most fun I have had in years. Uh, And I'm four years old in the bar and nobody cared because my mom was super hot. Um, So my uncles overlooked it. (laughs) (laughs) These guys... These guys would keep me distracted by the hand on my mom. They would just hand me like like just one 20 ounce Coke after the other. Because it's easy to control a toddler when it's in a sugar coma. Mm-hmm. And these guys would put these, they would always pack the Cokes with bar cherries. Did you guys have bar cherries as a kid? You have bar cherries as a kid? Yes. yes. No, yes. That, is, that is not fruit. That bar cherries, <laughs> they were developed in a lab at Dow Chemical. They're all the same size. Same color. And by the way, there is no fruit the color of a horny baboon's ass. That has never happened in history. <laughs> And that's what we're trying to bring to people. And it's just been a total blast. Anybody can watch, by the way, by going to laughfromhome.com. And there's links there to watch on any platform. We stream live to so many thousands of people every day on Twitch and Facebook and YouTube and Twitter. So it has been the coolest thing ever. 
It's so smart and so needed. What role do you think comedians have in a time of national crisis? We're pretty essential. We're essential workers at a time like this, I think, because people need that release or we would explode. It's just too much. I also think there's an element of comedians being the ones that put timestamps on an era. Like I remember after 9-11, Gilbert Gottfried, he got into some trouble for a joke that he made. Um, I you remember. Know, too soon. Uh, so He lost the so, Aflac gig. Yeah, that's right. So how difficult is it to make relevant jokes in the middle of something terrible happening to a uh, a nation? I mean, is offending people necessarily bad at this point? I don't think so. I think yeah. you have to be respectful of, you know, people are going through hard times, but it always comes down to your intention. And people, I think, are very good at reading someone's intention. We definitely sometimes overreact, no doubt. And there's been this cancel culture that I don't think gives enough pause to people. But you notice during a time like this, that is far less because we realize perspective quickly. We realize that we need to take a moment to give somebody the benefit of the doubt and just try to see what kind of person they are and what their intentions in a statement indeed is. So we make all kinds of quarantine and pandemic jokes on this show, and it just is the greatest release. And that's why I say it's a catharsis. We've been playing pun games many days with the audience and the audience tips a $5 super chat to submit to win a prize and have their answer read on the air. And we write our own. And every third day or so, the pun is like quarantine a movie or quarantine a song lyric, you know? And so great. And we just get to laugh at the absurdity and laugh at the sacred cows you're not supposed to laugh at. It enables us to just finally breathe. Like we did quarantine a store and... (laughs) Somebody submitted Panic at the Costco. (laughs) How great is that? It's so great. Such an incredible experience. And so once we realized that we could make live comedy work again and the comedians who performed were crushing their sets, just getting uproarious laughter for their five-minute set, Steve and I started talking and realized we can really go back to that original vision I had and we can actually start doing full stand-up comedy shows. And so he and I huddled together and we launched a much bigger undertaking that we've been working on for the last month. And we've been live already for about three weeks. We created the first ever fully digital comedy club. It's called the Nowhere Comedy Club because there is no location and we're performing from nowhere and everywhere. Very kindly, everyone, and welcome to Nowhere. It is wonderful to have you here. Thank you for being with us. I hope you're very comfortable. I hope our bouncers were pleasant. This is going to be quite an evening. We are very excited. Another sold-out show here at the Nowhere Comedy Club. I've been getting prepared all day. I have been building up my anti-coronavirus immunity by chewing Tide Pods for the last year and a half. (laughs) The president says bleach does the trick, and I am ahead of my time. So what we're trying to do is we literally are trying to come as close as you can to recreating the exact experience of 
being at a comedy club, just not physically being there. Every element, the pre-show music, the excitement before the show begins, the communal vibe in the showroom before it starts, the pre-show video, the audience laughing with us. We figured out the way by training showroom managers and bouncers and security measures so there are no Zoom bombers. And by not live streaming it to the public, but by actually selling tickets so comedians can tour again. We can actually right. tour the world without leaving our living rooms. And so we're doing shows in different time zones and we're doing 11 p.m. shows for Australia and 11 a.m. shows for Europe and shows at 7 p.m. for both coasts here in the States. And we have comedians selling out 300 ticket shows or two of them back to back. That's amazing. It's, it's, it's been awesome. Incredible. So you mentioned before how being a comedian, so many people are out of work in that industry, in my industry. And I think that you're the right person to ask this question because you did a deep dive into this when you ran for president. What do you think it says about our economy at large that so many people are out of work right now and that generally those people are the frontline workers and not the CEOs? This crisis has uh, once again not that we needed a stronger light shined well, some on. Pe some people did. Yes, that's true. That's true. But we have the strongest spotlight possible now shined on the inequities in our society. And it's just more clear than ever that we do not have the structures in place to take care of people in the way they need to be taken care of and to just bring what was one of the main pillars of my campaign, which is compassionate capitalism into our economy and into our lives and our society. You know, there's a big article that was just quoting Mark Cuban the other day, and he's talking the whole time about we need to be compassionate capitalists. And I'm so glad that this thing I was trying to shout from the rooftops during my campaign is maybe starting to spread as a concept right. because there's nothing at all wrong with capitalism as a concept. That's what makes our country what it is, where you can change your outcome, build your life into what you want to be. And you can just through sheer ingenuity and hard work, change the trajectory of your place in life. But only under one incredibly obvious rule is do it while not stepping on anybody else. Right. It's really just the golden rule put into our business. And how much profit do you need? And so every business that you start has to take people into account, has to pay people fairly, and has to just have as one of its major principles, how can I make this so that I succeed very largely because I created this business, but also everybody that works with me succeeds and that people who need help can get some help maybe. Like in this Nowhere Comedy Club we just created, A, we're keeping the prices very low. And we can lower the prices because we don't have to tour. And there's no travel expenses, but there's also no physical infrastructure, no rent to pay in that way. But also we're doing a free show for the USO soon to make sure that soldiers who are quarantined, our troops that are quarantined, get some entertainment as well, including the ship where coronavirus is spreading rapidly through it, where the captain was was let go for ridiculous reasons for trying to yeah. protect his, his crew. We're giving them a free show. We have a program we just launched where any frontline healthcare worker can go to our website, NowhereComedyClub.com, and request a free ticket to whatever show they would like to attend. And that's obviously also where anybody can buy a ticket if they want to laugh and have a night just to relieve the stress that we're all going through. But we're just trying to put in place certain elements that make sure that we're all in this together and we don't forget we are a community. 
you can have a business that also is socially minded and cares about people. Those do not by any means have to be mutually exclusive things. It's like, what does Ben and Jerry call it? I think a shared prosperity. Is where... that a new flavor? That sounds like a, like a not delicious flavor. <laughs> I would eat that flavor. Their philosophy has always been the more successful that they are. Everyone from the bottom up gets to share in that success. I love that philosophy. It's the same thing that we're trying to bring to our comedy club. And ours is just less chunky. We just don't have chunks in it. I'm not a big chunks in the ice cream fan. That's the only thing. Really? Even if it's like cookie dough? The cookie dough is the one exception for sure. Okay. But like even like their mint and chip or their banana. Banana is the best ice cream flavor on earth. And then there's these way too thick chocolate chips in there. I'm not trying to eat a Hershey's bar while eating ice cream. Make a choice. I have to disagree with you there. What about like the chocolate covered pretzel one? What's that one called? Like Chunky Monkey or something? Absolutely like that? not. You're trying to get bread in there. So now I'm eating <laughs> ice cream and it's drying my mouth out. I'm having a, a melting liquid treat. Come on. I mean, carbs, chocolate, and sugar, and I'm in. I hear you. I understand what you're saying. <laughs> to me, I like all three in separate bowls, side by side. I can swallow one, go right to the next. Um, what's the rush, Alyssa? What is the rush? <laughs> And where I come from, San Carlos, California, the widest place on earth, home of the Plain Yogurt Festival. <laughs> Fruit and powerful taste is burning our tongues. <laughs> so white. Our Catholic school was called St. Charles. Oh. Well, it's mean St. Charles, you guys. The town fathers went, maybe we should call it something that everyone's comfortable with. <laughs> it's Mexicans. No regular people. Speaking of that, my body by Corona is slamming. Let me tell you. Are you? Oh, my God. I'm spending every... I ate Cheez-Its, a banana, and two powdered donuts last night for dinner. Oh, it's the best. It's the great excuse to just let ourselves go. I have been eating Sour Patch Kids every night. My lady the other day called me over to the dining room table and said she just baked cookies and I looked closely and there were Sour Patch Kids baked into the cookies. And you're okay with that, but you're not okay with chocolate covered pretzels and ice cream? You make a very strong counter argument there. And I will just say these are strange times. <laughs> Some of the old rules are out the window. I ordered Instacart recently, surprised her with powdered donuts being added into the order. And it was a dream. <laughs> we had an entire bag of about 25 donuts in about 15 minutes. That was beautiful. But somehow... I'm definitely getting doughier, but I think on, on the whole, I'm not really gaining much weight because my schedule is so off, as all of ours seem to be, that I'm often only eating two meals and then a huge amount of dessert. So it kind of balances out. Right. Well, my anxiety is burning a lot of calories. Yes, so. there's that too. You have to watch <laughs> social distancing or come to a nowhere comedy club show because we are going to reduce your anxiety. Guaranteed. I'm going to come. I'm definitely going to. When's your next show? I'm headlining is it every day? Saturday. The social distancing social club is five days a week, every day at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 Eastern, except Mondays and Thursdays. And you again, you can get the links at laughfromhome.com to watch it, whatever platform you prefer. And then if you go to nowherecomedyclub.com, you can see the whole lineup of who's headlining our comedy club. A lot of our regulars on the free show come and get tickets and are watching our live show each night. And we've just created this amazing community. And I'm convincing all these great comedians to come and check out Nowhere. Because Nowhere right now is everywhere. Right. I mean, not to get too weird on you on breaking down the word, but Nowhere also spells now here. Oh, That's yep. where we are. We are Nowhere right now, so we got to make the most of it. 
So we've had so many amazing comedians already perform at this club. We've had Adam Ray and Brad Williams and Greg Proops and Ida Rodriguez. And I've convinced even one of the greatest comedians working today right now, my dear friend Nikki Glazer, who's been very reticent to perform in this virtual format to come into a guest set on my show. And Judd Apatow just hopped into the audience of one of them and told me it was fascinating afterward. He was like, this is so cool. I'm so glad that people are figuring out how to make comedy work in this new reality, this new abnormal that we're all living in. Yeah. <laughs> he says to me, this young man, um, would you be interested in um, obtaining some weed while you're here at the Vancouver Comedy Festival? And I said, well, <laughs> that's a fascinating proposition, young man. I said, um, and were that to happen, how would we conduct that uh, uh, particular transaction? And he went, reach in the back. It's in my knapsack. So I reach in the back. <laughs> has a dazzling panoply of weed. Like a... a, a a, a waterfall of weed, a crescendo of weed, a, 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 a dank storm of weed. How do, how do you describe it? It's like wandering through Humboldt, naked, but for marijuana resin gathering chaps. It was that kind of feeling as the wind blew through your nether reaches like a peppermint patty, a, 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 a scintillating feel. It feels like this is something that can stick. I mean, not that we're ever going to not go to comedy clubs once this is over, but it feels like this is kind of a good companion piece to that. And people are having to figure out how to make things work. And I think that when human beings are faced with adversity, it's the just pure ingenuity that is the most inspiring thing right now to, to witness. 100%. Right? 100%. I mean, we really believe that this virtual comedy club will continue far into the future because it's just a great add-on or addition to live touring comedy because so many of us have to spend so much time traveling to every small town around right. the globe to bring our jokes and we can now reach many more people. So many of our fans have never seen us live. They can't afford a night out of the club with a two-drink minimum. They live in a town we'll never reach and now we can do shows for them or if we're working on a tv show we can do a show on the weekend and tour another part of the globe in a total of 90 minutes instead of two days or three days of your life gone and so i really think that this will move forward not to mention it, it would be great for table reads you know for stage yes. readings for sketch groups for bonus content q a's and so i really think it will continue and then crazily i haven't talked about this publicly yet because we we are just launching now but doing the nowhere comedy club has actually now spawned a new idea for a business that we are launching that we are trying to provide an even more urgent service i realized by doing this club that we really can produce and manage very smoothly a large scale event with hundreds and hundreds of people live and make it a really exciting, positive experience. And my girlfriend came home the other day and she was listening to the Daily podcast. Mm -hmm. And she heard an episode about how people now are having these life events that they're having to figure out how to do on Zoom that are important, momentous life events. The episode was about this preacher who lost his wife and he had to figure out how to do a funeral for her on Zoom. And instead of being able to grieve and focus on, that he had to figure out this technology. And so she 
the episode brought her to tears and she came home and said, I could do that for people. I could organize a funeral and take that completely off of their backs and give them the ability to just focus on what's important to them and create beautiful experience for them. It's like a, being a virtual event coordinator. Exactly right. That's what she realized she wanted to do because then a week before that, she created a online Zoom birthday. Or it wasn't actually on Zoom, but it was another streaming platform for her sister. And we created all these games we were playing. And I started talking about creating a online virtual event planning business. And then she says to me, what about graduations that are being canceled left and right? And so she and I just started diving deep into it. How about this? You can have links to pages of things that they have registered for as gifts. Oh, absolutely. Let's up the gift game right? for graduations. Big Graduation time. or weddings or whatever, you know, you have it virtually. And then you right. say, here's the link to our registry page. There's so much that you can't do virtually that you can do in person, but there's so much that you can do virtually that you can't do in person like that, like the ability to have people that can never make your live events attend. And so we've been diving deep into that and we realized that the most urgent need right now is these graduations that are being canceled and people that yeah, are going to proms. high school proms for sure. And we haven't quite solved that one, but but people that are graduating high school or college and have built their whole lives toward this momentous occasion are going to be deprived of the moment where they get to receive that diploma in front of all of their friends and family. Yeah. And so we started another endeavor and we launched SaveOurGraduation.com. And we have just begun reaching out to schools and universities all over the country. And we're going to try as best as we can to provide this service and also just to coach them how to do it on their own and make sure that they come as close as possible to the live experience that everybody deserves and has earned a cool, unique, real graduation, not some slideshow like some people are doing, but actually that sense of community and celebrating together. And so we're going to try to just you know, solve all these different problems that people are having. Because like you said, when your back's against the wall, you get very creative. The other thing that I love about this is something I've been saying is that I don't feel the term social distancing is the right term. I know it's been used throughout history, but to me, this is about physical distancing. Right. The social aspect, we can still coordinate virtually. Because we have the technology to do it. I mean, I miss hugging my parents. I miss seeing my kids hug my parents. I miss the physical closeness that I feel from being able to be in someone's presence. But I don't feel socially like I'm missing anything right now. I feel like physically I'm missing something. So the term social distancing, I think, is actually causing more harm, making people more stressed out about it because they think they have to give up social aspects of their lives when it's just the physical aspect. I agree. I agree completely. It's sometimes these terms just come out and take hold. And to some degree, it is a, a population control tactic to say you don't get to have the life that you want and need right now. And so you're beholden to listening to us for every single bit of guidance. No, we have right now just a physical problem that does not need to extend to other parts of our lives. That's why we called our live streaming show, the ironic name of Social Distancing Social Club. 
because if we really were socially distancing, you couldn't have a social club, and we do. (laughs) (laughs) On these Zoom calls and trying to get used to it, I spent some time with my cousin. Earlier today, we did this thing, and she complained a whole lot because the guys were hitting her up on her DMs. They're always hitting her up. I'm like, you know what? You're the problem. Like, every picture is her with her boobs out, and she's doing the kissy face. Like, you're sending a message, okay? If my husband comes home and finds me naked in the bed, he knows exactly what I want him to do. (laughs) Remodel the kitchen. (laughs) Well, for anyone that's listening and wants to support what you're doing, leave us with all of the information so that my listeners can be empowered to go laugh. Thank you, Alyssa. So if people want to laugh for free for 90 minutes, five days a week, they can go to laughfromhome.com and check out the Social Distancing Social Club. If you want to actually experience a full comedy club headliner show with one of your favorite comedians or discover someone new, literally from the comfort of your living room, crack open a beer, kick back and enjoy, you can go to nowherecomedyclub.com. And if you're a frontline healthcare worker, you can get a free ticket. And if you have a graduation coming up or a life event that you want to be handled in a way that does not shortchange what you've been working towards your whole life and you want a beautiful experience that still feels like real life, go to saveourgraduation.com and maybe we can help you get that to happen. Awesome. Well, thank you, Ben, for all that you do and for being a part of the podcast again. They want to distract us in whatever way they can. They even use the moon to distract us recently. Have you noticed them doing this? When we were kids, the moon was optional. Look if you wanted. There was no social pressure. And now every two days, there's a new moon event we're supposed to get very excited about. Every two days, they're like, tonight's a very rare strawberry mango moon. You won't see it again for 92 years. Tonight's a very rare blueberry pie moon. The rare mixture of a blue moon and a berry pie. You won't see it again for 142 years. I don't know why the moon's publicist is Willy Wonka. That's a strong question. I'm Charlie, look at the moon. Look at the wonderful gobstopper moon, Charlie. The wonderful chocolate river, blood orange, harvest wolf moon. Come with me and you'll see the moon doing absolutely nothing. Always pushing that moon on us. Always like tonight's a partial eclipse of the moon. Now, if you look at the moon, you will just see part of the moon. Oh. Just part of the moon? You mean like most of every month? See. And a strawberry moon, really? I'm looking. Best I see is partly jaundice. That's what I'm seeing. You ever notice how hard it is to take the moon's picture? Sometimes it even gets low, and the moon is huge. You take your cell phone out, it looks like a streetlight. (laughs) <laughs> the moon my phone's like I disagree <laughs> I don't think you do see the moon and that is the end of my time my friends I am Ben Glebe live performance is such a critical part of our culture it's not only about entertainment although that matters through the arts we find a new lens to see ourselves 
new perspectives that help us understand the world and insights into our communities. One of the first things I'm going to do when things are safe to reopen is to find live music, live comedy, and live theater. I'm going to recommit myself to supporting and experiencing this great joy that we're all missing so much right now. And I hope you will too. Sorry Not Sorry is executive produced by Alyssa Milano. That's me. Our associate producer is Ben Jackson. Editing and engineering by Natasha Jacobs. And music by Josh Cook, Alicia Eagle, and Milo Bugliari. That's my boy. Please subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, please rate, review, and spread the word.